and my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. Welcome to the African History Network show. It is Sunday, October 17th, 2021, and we are live. Made it through another week. We had a great show on Friday also. If you missed uh, Friday's show, you know, we're here six days a week. If you missed Friday's show, you can uh, follow us on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, or our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. And you can watch the, uh, we have the show archived there uh, also. All right. So, uh, as I was saying, it's been a very busy day. Uh, we taught, I taught a session of uh, one of my online classes, Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Uh, ended up doing that class for about two and a half hours today. So, We'll give you a, a recap of some of the things we talked about. And then on Saturday, you've heard me talk all week about the social justice conference that was taking place at Hartford Memorial Baptist Church here in Detroit. Uh, Friday, October 15th, Saturday, October 16th. So I was there on Saturday. I did a workshop uh, 10 a.m. Saturday morning dealing with. Uh, black liberation theology as a tool against white supremacy, black liberation theology as a tool against white supremacy. Now, those that know me know that <laughs> a lot of mornings I'm not up before 10 a.m. Because uh, I, I, so I, I was at Hartford. I was there early. I got there at 9 a.m. Workshop started at 10. Wanted to be there early, but I only had two hours of sleep. <laughs> OK, because I got off the air. We, we actually finished doing Friday show about 12:15 a.m. OK, uh, here on that 10, you know, we went a few minutes over on my social media platform. So I ended Friday's show about 1215 a.m. And then I went back to working on the presentation I was doing Friday morning. I mean, Saturday morning for Hartford Memorial Baptist Church. So I went to bed at 3 a.m., got back up at 5 a.m. to keep working on the presentation because it's a presentation I've never given before. Right. You know, I got about 40 presentations already done, but this one is not one of them. So <laughs> I finished, finally got to a point where I say, OK, I'm satisfied. I could put my name on this presentation. So then I head out to the church, get there at 9 a.m. And um, the, the workshop, people really enjoyed the workshop. My workshop was packed. So uh, that was a busy day Saturday. And uh, the day is a busy day as well. I had to teach a class and get ready for today's show. So. Uh, it, once again, if you uh, attended the Social Justice Conference and if you attended my workshop, you can give us a call. Uh, let us know what you thought about, it, if you had any questions, et cetera. All right. On today's show, uh, I'm going to continue a topic that we dealt with on Friday. On Friday, we talked about how in Texas and we have two stories dealing with Texas today. OK, because there's so much craziness coming out of Texas on Friday. Uh, and I was on Roller Martin Unfiltered also Friday, so that was another reason why I was really busy. We talked about how Texas representatives, Sheila Jackson Lee and Representative Al Green, uh, both members of the Congressional Black Caucus, both uh, African-Americans, of course, how they could be facing off against each other because their districts are being gerrymandered by the, by the Republican-controlled state legislature and their districts are being collapsed into one, all right, uh, because of the results of the 2020 census and the party in control of the state legislatures. They are the party that redraws district lines every 10 years. 
So this is what's taking place. So on Friday, on Roller Martin Unfiltered, we spoke with Representative Al Green. I'm going to share an excerpt of that conversation with you. But this comes after uh, a story earlier in the week. And Washington Post reported that in, in other news outlets also on Wednesday, October 13th, that the 2020 census may have undercounted the African-American population by as many as 2 million people, okay? the So we haven't seen the full results of the 2020 census yet, but it's speculated based upon uh, two new analysis that came out this past week. It suggests the 2020 census may have undercounted African-Americans at, at a significantly higher rate than usual raising concerns about whether minority communities could lose out on fair representation and funding over the next 10 years. Okay, so the, the, the story we dealt with on Friday's show here and on Roller Martin Unfiltered comes after that information uh, was released dealing with the 2020 census. Washington Post did a good article on this Representative Brenda Lawrence of the 14th Congressional District and member of the Congressional Black Caucus, 14th Congressional District here in Detroit, she's quoted twice in this article from the Washington Post. So we're going to talk about this as well. This has wide ranging ramifications. All right. We know that the U.S. Census is the uh, bec because of the results of the U.S. Census. That's a reallocation of one point five trillion dollars in resources, the reallocation of $1.5 trillion in resources. This is what's at stake in the U.S. Census, but also the U.S. Census ties into the Electoral College, which choose, which is plays a part in choosing the president, and it deals with how many seats in the House of Representatives each state has and whether or not a particular city will have representation in the House of Representatives also, whether or not a particular city, how many, well, let me rephrase that. It, 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 it depends, it, it determines how many seats in the House of Representatives cities will have as well as states. So the census has wide ranging ramifications and you have to live with those consequences for 10 years. So we'll talk about that a little bit and then, um, also on Friday, we, we talked some about the lawsuit of Gomillion versus Lightfoot. Gomillion versus Lightfoot. We'll, we'll discuss that a little bit more today. This is something that I brought up to represent the Val Green when I talked to him uh, on Friday. Okay. Now, when I say when I say Al Green, I always think about love and happiness. But this is this is Representative Val Green from <laughs> this is Representative Al Green from from Houston, Texas. Member of the House of Representatives. I know the difference between the two, but when I hear Al Green, I just think about love and happiness. All right. I just think about, <laughs> uh, you know, Reverend Al Green, R&B singer Al Green. That's who I think about. I think about Al Green, my dad having Al Green on eight track. That's, you know, <laughs> that's what I think about <laughs> when I think about Al Green. Okay. <laughs> so we'll talk about that. Now, Friday was the 55th anniversary of the founding of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. October 15th, 
1966, Oakland, California. All right. Um, on Friday's show, I, I played a excerpt of an interview with Huey P. Newton, co-founder of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. Huey P. Newton um, and Bobby Seale, they're both students at Merritt College. I played an excerpt of an interview uh, with Huey P. Newton from 1988, uh, which was part of Eyes on the Prize, the second Eyes on the Prize series that dealt with 1965 to 1988, okay? On today's show, we're gonna play an excerpt of an interview with Bobby Seale, co-founder of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense also. And we'll talk some about the, we'll talk some about the Black Panthers as well, the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. Interesting, very good clip, uh, very good clip we have of uh, Bobby Seale. All right, now, also, there's another story out of Texas. I told you we had two stories out of Texas. So we've got this, and there's some crazy, crazy stories coming out of Texas every day, basically. Um, there was a white teacher in Houston, in the Houston area, who resigned this past Wednesday after a student recording this white teacher using the N-word in class. Teacher's name is Norman, Norman Grunich at Klein, College, at Klein Collins High School located just outside of Houston, Texas, all right? And one of the things he was asking in the video is why he can't say the N-word, but he used the actual N-word. And he's, he's talking about them using the N-word in class and he was kind of, he was someone asking the question, you know, why are these students using the N-word in class? Why? And he said why he couldn't say it. Then he talked about why isn't there uh, a white history month? And what about Irish, yeah, what Irish Americans? And why aren't they talking about the what happened to Irish Americans? All types of stuff like that. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm going to let you hear what I said <laughs> when it came to me. <laughs> because <laughs> what I said, I think, took some people by surprise, but. <laughs> we'll talk about that also. All right. So on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control it, control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you can control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now, we deal with a number of different topics here on the African History Network show. We deal with current events and history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. See, I, I made sure to say relationships. Because sometimes I just say love and sex and, and, and leave out relationships. Not that I want to leave out relationships. It's just sometimes... It just happens that way. Okay. <laughs> and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828. The sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828. The sign up for our email newsletter. We'll also let you know about a special promotion we have going on for limited time only where you can register for both of the online courses that I'm teaching right now for one low price as well. All right, calling numbers 313-778-7600, 313-778-7600.
is the call in number if you have a question or comment 313-778-7600. And we'll go to the uh, phone lines here in just a minute. I wanna get into this first story here and this deals with the census, but it also shows how, um, it also shows how important the US census is as well. Okay, and a lot of times people, I, I remember that this year there was some fear that there would be an undercounting in the census, et cetera, because it was taking place during COVID-19. It was a monumental task to get the, to get the census uh, done this year. Okay, uh, well, 20, 2020, I should say, get, get it done in 2020 and it continues in 2021. Uh, there's a monumental effort to, to get uh, it done. And I, I remember people uh, fearing that there could be uh, an undercount this year. All right. And we're seeing uh, the results of this also. Now, it's also important to note that when Donald Trump wanted to have a, uh, a, a a citizenship question on the census that was designed that was designed to decrease the number of non-white people largely responding to the census okay that was designed to decrease the number of non-white people uh, responding to the census and it was designed to tilt the balance of power, towards Republicans even more so when it comes to the U.S. House of Representatives and uh, the Electoral College, all right? Uh, so we're coming up on a break. We'll discuss all that and explain that to you on the other side of the break. 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. This is the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, the future of radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV, the way it should be. Black music. Black history and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network. Subscribe now. Um, in entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. It is laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's only laws and policies that take us out. So you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts. You control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do what teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. 910, the Superstation. The oldest radio station in town since 1922. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Sunday, October 17th, 2021. And we are live calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. All right. Now, also, if you'd like to type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, 
dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. All right. Um, right before the break, we were talking about the U.S. Census. And the story came out this past week. I saw a number of different outlets reporting on this. There's also a segment from the Black News Channel we're going to talk about here in just a minute. But if uh, Washington Post has a good article dealing with this. And our own Brenda Lawrence of the 14th Congressional District out of Detroit is quoted in this article as well. Now, you know, we talked about the census when the when the uh, initial results came out. And uh, here's another article from the Washington Post. We discussed this here and it dealt with how census data shows widening diversity number of white people falls for the first time. Census data shows widening diversity, diversity number of white people falls for the first time. All right. Uh, This article here from the uh, Washington Post is from August 12, 2021. And it, it talked about how uh, this is the first time since 1790 that the number of white people in, in the country has fallen. Uh, the report marks the first time the absolute number of people who identify as white, uh, as white alone, A-L-O-N-E, as white alone, has shrunk since a census started being taken in 1790. Uh, the number of people identifying as non-Hispanic white and no other race race dropped by 5.1 million people to 191.7 million people, a decrease of 2.6%. Um, the country also passed two more milestones on its way to becoming a, a majority-minority society in the coming decades. For the first time, the portion of white people dipped below 60% slipping from 63.7% in the 2010 census to 57.8% in the 2020 census. And the, and the under 18 population is now majority people of color at 52.7%. The the population of Americans under 18 years old is majority non-white people, majority people of color at 52.7%. Now there's a direct correlation between these census results and the fear of a browning of America and these people acting a fool at school board meetings and uh, the attack on critical race theory, okay? All this is connected in the attack in state legislatures to uh, suppress the uh, non-white vote, et cetera. All that's connected. That's not by accident. That's all connected and coordinated. We have to have and a opposite connected coordinated uh, response to that as well. So if you look at this other article here, 2020 census may have undercounted black Americans, new analysis say. Uh, Two analysis suggests the 2020 census may may have undercounted African-Americans at a significantly higher rate than usual, raising concerns about whether minority communities could lose out on a fair representation of funding over the next 10 years, over the next 10 years. These results are good for 10 years. Now, census results can be challenged. You can challenge them in court. You can challenge census results, but 
hopefully the challenge goes your way. It doesn't always have to go your way. The Census Bureau has not yet released data would allow comparisons of 2020 census results with earlier estimates to assess the survey's accuracy. Okay, so the full results have not been released yet, but a simulation comparing the Bureau's estimates for, for 2020 with results from 2010 indicates that the country's African-American population may have been undercounted at a rate up to three times as high as in 2010, okay? The, a simulation comparing the Bureau's estimates for 2020 with the results from the 2010 census indicates that the country's African-American population may have been undercounted at a rate up to three times as high as in 2010. And a second report suggests the undercount of African-American children could be up to 10 times as high as a decade ago. Now, we still have to wait for the full results to come out so that challenges can actually be filed. You can't file challenges yet until the full results come out. But what we know so far is alarming. Now, the findings align with concerns that some jurisdictions and civil rights advocates have had about lower than expected totals in the 2020 census. If the analysis holds up, that means the 2020 census count of people who identified as black alone, A-L-O-N-E, meaning they didn't check two boxes, they're not biracial or something, what have you. People who identified as black alone could be approximately 2 million people lower than it should be. The undercount could have profound implications for an array of services that are based on population counts, including Medicare, Medicaid, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, also known as SNAP, highway planning and construction, road construction, highways, infrastructure, things like this, Section 8 housing vouchers and Head Start, but also school funding. There are a number of different things that are tied to the census. The census is a reallocation of $1.5 trillion, okay, to communities. Mark Mell, president and chief executive of the National Urban League, said this might be our greatest undercount since 1960 or 1950. This might be our greatest undercount since 1950 or 1960. And the National Urban League sued the uh, Census Bureau last year to stop the count from ending early. Now, even in the best of times, the U.S. Census tends to overcount some populations and undercount other populations with the highest undercounts among minorities, renters, low-income people, and children. But the 2020 census was fraught with challenges, including the Trump administration efforts to add a citizenship question, which was purely trying to drive down the count of non-white people, especially in democratic-leaning states, to reduce that count 
which reduce funding going to those states, which will also reduce the number of seats in the House of Representatives those states would have, which would then in turn reduce the number of electoral college votes associated with Democratic-leaning states, which would make it easier for Republicans to win future presidential elections for the next 10 years in the electoral college, even though they lost the popular vote like they did with Trump in 2016 and uh, uh, George uh, W. Bush in 2000. This is all connected. Now the coronavirus pandemic, uh, as well during the 2010 census, well, 2020 census when it's being taken, natural disasters and legal battles over the counts uh, end date, okay? This was all challenges taking place during the 2020 census. Trump administration efforts to add a citizenship question, which was on purpose, has been a citizenship question for about the last 60 years on the census, because when you, the census was created by the U.S. Constitution. When you read the U.S. Constitution, the census is supposed to count everybody in the U.S., regardless of citizenship status. It's supposed to count every person in the U.S. Now, all of these raised concerns among experts about whether the undercounts would be more significant this time. Now, Representative Brenda Lawrence, Congressional Black Caucus, you hear her here on 910A on the Superstation WFDF, she said it was a perfect storm for an undercount on multiple levels. Many people, quote unquote, many people in poor and minority communities are already reluctant to respond to questions about their household members and a problem that was exacerbated by the additional challenges Representative Brenda Lawrence said. She went on to say, quote, I'm hopeful that the official numbers are not as low as the ones that the analysts are putting out, but the numbers that we've seen from these analysts are disturbing, end quote. Now, I want to go to this clip here from the Black News Channel. And it's Mark Lamont Hill. He actually spoke with an expert. This is from Friday, October 15th, Black News Tonight with Mark Lamont Hill. Census senior advisor discusses Black Americans being undercounted. And he spoke with Jerry Green, uh, J-E-R-I, Jerry Green, a 2020 Census Senior Advisor at the National Urban League to talk about these numbers. Let's go to this clip, Jalen. Welcome back to Black News Tonight. We reported earlier in the show, the most recent census may have heavily undercounted Black Americans. We're talking about a rate three times higher than the census in 2010. To help us make sense of all of this and to discuss the potential negative impacts of underreporting I'm now joined by Jerry Green. She's a 2020 Census Senior Advisor at the National Urban League. She has more than 20 years of experience as a senior advisor on civic engagement and uh, the census more broadly. Uh, welcome to the show, Jerry. Talk to me about this census. Why are black people undercounted? This year is a record, potentially, but we always get undercounted in the census. Why? Well, first of all, there's no perfect census. Somebody's going to be undercounted, and then there are those who are overcounted. We're rarely in the overcounted population. And so there, there, you know, there's always a fear of the census. Um, 
the census has traditionally undercounted black men at every age group. Um, black children are undercounted. These are the things that our organizations have worked very hard throughout the decade to try to correct. Uh, and we were making headway. However, what's different about this time, um, of course we know the global pandemic threw everything up in the air. The Census Bureau operations were all over the place. They did a poor job of communicating with the public on the changes and how long people had to fill out the census form. There were hurricanes in the South. And we know that a great part of our population, almost up to 50% of the black population are in the South, affected by the hurricane, affected by the pandemic. But most of all, it was the interference, the political interference by the former Trump administration um, sending out signals that immigrants shouldn't be counted. One in 10 black people is an immigrant. And as you can see from how we were treated on the border, um, the Haitian, our Haitian brothers and sisters were treated, clearly there's a lot of fear. And when you have the leader of the nation saying you shouldn't be counted in the census, it had an impact, you know. And then the Supreme Court, acting uh, on behalf of the Trump administration, closed, shut down the census early during the critical part of the enumeration process when people, the enumerators were going door to door. And that's largely a black and brown population that's there. And so the Supreme Court shut off the census early, and there you have it. You know, a, a, a huge, uh, potentially a huge undercount. So black men in particular, black children always are undercounted for all the reasons, I'm sure, access issues, they're not looking for us, you know, I'm sure mass incarceration, poverty, being uh, unhoused, all these things sort of play into it. But then you just laid out a set of circumstances for why we're currently uh, underrepresented at maybe a historically record rate, you know, from like from the White House to the courthouse. We're seeing into the state house, every, every angle we're getting hit. What a lot of people don't get, though, is why it matters, right? I mean, if we're underreported, why does it matter? Most people don't even get why the census is something we should take seriously. Most Americans don't. What does it mean? What are the consequences for black people to not be counted fully? Well, the census is about money, power, and representation. About $1.5 trillion is allocated each year to communities, state, local communities, and even households based on the census count. And it's important to understand that the, this money uh, doesn't follow the need. It follows the census count. Mm -hmm. So for instance, uh, programs for WIC and uh, for um, Section 8, affordable housing, uh, Medicare, all of these things, Pell Grants for our students, transportation funds. I mean, you know, take President Biden's yet-to-be uh, approved infrastructure bill. How do you think those funds are going to be allocated once that legislation gets approved? It'll be allocated to cities and states based on the census dollar. So that's $1.5 trillion each year. Multiply that by 10. We have to live with those results for the next 10 years. Politically, the seats in Congress are allocated based on the census count. Okay? And imagine in the state of New York, in the state of New York, based on the 2020 census count, they lost a full congressional seat because 84 people were not counted in the census. That's how important the census is. And now as you look at redistricting and a drawing of lines, it's about power, plain and simple, straight up. So if I don't get an accurate count of my people in my community, in my neighborhood, in my city, in my state, et cetera, 
I might lose political representation. I'm going to lose money. I'm going. To, my schools may close. My libraries may close. The potholes may not get filled as fast. In terms of, and I'm just speaking about infrastructure, bridges, etc. But the other piece of this is that, like you said, it, it lasts ten years. So the mistakes that were made in 2020. Now, black folks, Trump's out of office. Biden will be out of office uh, within the next three or seven years, and we still won't have those resources because of the census. Is there anything we can do, or do we just have to suffer for the next for the next nine years? Well, there are, and I have to tell you, Christian-based gerrymandering, just imagine, we're already behind the ball, because they count prisoners, the Census Bureau counts prisoners, and where they're located in the prisons, and where are these prisons? In white conservative rural districts. So that money that would have gone, and you know we're disproportionately represented in the prison industrial complex, all of that money goes to white conservative rural districts. So we're double, you know, we, we move all the way around. I would say call your representatives, call your members of the Black Caucus. They know. We brief, you know, we're briefing, we're having conversations. Tell them you want to know that they, you need data. We need data to find out what we're wrong in the census. Where are these undercounts taking place on a local level? You know, we need to have granular data. So call your Congressional Black Caucus member, tell them you want to know, you want the Census Bureau to release the data on the undercount immediately. And that way, local governments government can then understand what they need to do, where the shortcomings are going to be as we come out of COVID, uh, all these things. But we need the data showing where these undercounts are geographically in our community. L.A., Philadelphia, Mobile, you name it. That's what we need, data from the Census Bureau. That, that, that's so important. I'm glad you said that because a lot of people are going to say, well, wow, they got us. They got over on us in 2020. 2030, we're going to be ready. But there's a lot of work to be done between now and 2030. The fight isn't over. We didn't get counted in the census, but as you just pointed out, Jerry, we got a lot of work to do locally, nationally, regionally to get yeah. them to release the data and to make up for the difference because of their failure to count us. Thank you so much for that insight, Jerry. Okay. So that was Dr. Mark Lamont Hill, who's back on um, the Black News Channel after suffering from a heart attack and a blood clot. So we, we're glad he's back and he's doing all right. He had a mild heart attack, I should say. We're glad he's back and doing OK. That was um, Jerry Green, uh, who is a 2020 census advisor at the National Urban League that you uh, that he interviewed. OK, so that's a. Uh, uh, excellent interview. That is from uh, Friday, October. That should be from Friday, October. Well, well, actually, that is that's from October 13th. I should say that's from October 13th. OK, uh, Wednesday, October 13th, 2021. That clip is from Black News Channel. That's on our YouTube channel. All right. Three one three seven seven eight seventy six hundred is the call in number. If you have a question or comment, three one three seven seven eight seventy six hundred is the call in number. If you have a question or comment. And as you heard her talk about the census, one of the results of the census, a reallocation of one point five trillion dollars annually for 10 years, a reallocation of one point five trillion dollars based upon census results. If we look at this piece here from WABE dot org, WABE dot org. where ATL meets National Public Radio. This is from November 21st, 2019. New study census determines where $1.5 trillion 
in federal spending goes each year. Okay, so people, a lot of people, see, once again, this this goes to how a lot of Americans in general uh, don't understand the U.S. Constitution. One in five can't name a single branch of the federal government. Okay, um, about almost two thirds can't name the three branches of the federal government. Not understanding how all this is collect, connected. This is a reallocation of taxpayer dollars. The census determines more than $1.5 trillion a year in federal money. That's according to a new report from George Washington University. The census conducted every 10 years counts every person living in the United States, regardless of their citizenship status. It counts every person living in the United States. And an accurate count can get Georgia its share of that capital. They're saying because this news outlet is in Georgia, but Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, period. The money goes to state and local governments, nonprofits and businesses. It funds programs such as student loans, Medicaid and Head Start, but also Pell Grants, as Jerry Green just laid out. According to the Urban Institute, Georgia is one of the states most at risk of misconduct. The Institute estimates that up to 177,000 Georgians could be uh, miscount. That's not misconduct, miscount. I'm sorry, miscount. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of the dumbass uh, governor, Brian Kemp, in, uh, <laughs> who's governor of Georgia, miscondduct. This is miscount, okay? Because anytime I hear about these Republican governors in these former Confederate states, uh, Florida, Ron DeSantis, uh, uh, Greg Abbott in Texas. Okay, anytime I hear about them, I think about misconduct. But according to the Urban Institute, Georgia is one of the states most at risk of, of a miscount. The Institute estimates that up to 177,000 Georgians could be miscounted in 2020. Georgia has set aside $1.5 million for outreach for next year's census, 2020 census. The state's complete count committee is in charge of outreach in the state. So read the rest of this article here, but you're talking about the reallocation of $1.5 trillion per year based upon the results of the census. So read this article here from wabe.org. New study census determines where $1.5 trillion in federal spending goes each year. Talk about show me the money. Talk, <laughs> talk about show me the money. All right. Okay. Now, if we go back to uh, it, now the other thing she mentioned, we're going to go back to this article from Washington Post here in just a second. But Jerry Green also talked about prisoners. And where prisoners are housed. Now, this is something I, I've dealt with for years because I've done lectures dealing with the war on drugs and the prison industrial complex, things like this, right? Okay. So, a lot of people don't know that the majority of prisons are housed in rural areas, the majority of prisons are in Republican districts. So, when you go to prison, so you go to like the state prison. Your residency changes from the city that you came from 
to the city that the prison is in where you're living now. So when the census is taken, if you're still in prison, you're not back home. The city that you came from, Detroit, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Cleveland, the city that you came from loses a census count, loses one count in the census. The city where you're housed, where that prison is, largely in Republican districts, largely in rural areas, they gain population count. Now, you're counted in the census, even though you can't vote, you're still counted in the census. So when your city loses money and people are going to prison, your city loses money. Somebody's making somebody cities that have these prisons housed and more people going into prison. They get an increase oftentimes in census count and then relates many times in an increase in funding from the census. Whereas your city that you came from could be losing funding in the census, especially if they have a declining population in that census. Okay. In, in, in the census count, uh, uh, for Detroit showed a declining population also, especially for African-Americans. So Mayor Mike Duggan is talking about suing. He's quoted in this article from the Washington Post also. All right, let's go back to this. Let's go back to this piece here. Uh, so Representative Brenda Lawrence, 14th Congressional District out of Detroit, U.S. House of Representatives, member of the Congressional Black Caucus. She's quoted twice here in this article. Now it goes on to say the simulation and independent analysis conducted by Connie Citro, a statistician who is also a senior scholar at the Committee on National Statistics at the National uh, Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, presents three pro possibilities for a net undercount of people who check black and no other race okay uh, uh, they presented three possibilities three possibilities for a net undercount of people who check black and no other race based on the u.s census bureau's low middle and high independent population estimates released in december 2020. connie citro calculated a net undercount of between 3.24% and 7.25%, a net undercount between 3.24% and 7.25% compared with a 2.3% net undercount for the same group in 2010. For black people in 2010 who just checked one box, one race, it was a 2.3% net undercount for uh, uh, black Americans in 2010, okay? For people who check black in combination with other races, they mean their biracial, what have you, or more than two races. Connie Citro analysis found a range between 0.28%, a little more than a quarter of a percent, 0.28% overcount, and a 4.3%, 4.36% undercount compared with a 1.1% undercount for the same group in 2010, black in combination with other races. All right, now, um, let me see here. 
Okay, so Mayor Mike Duggan, Mayor of Detroit, was quoted here as well, talking about the census results. Let me go to this here. Um, when when race and ethnicity data was released in August of 2020, Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan said the census had undercounted his city by at least 10%. The, the census had undercounted the city of Detroit by at least 10% based on the number of residential households with current electricity accounts and threatened legal action, okay? Based on the number of residential households with current electricity accounts and threatened legal action. A uh, Mayor Duggan spokesperson said this week that the mayor is awaiting the results of a University of Michigan study before deciding whether or not to sue. Now, Representative Brenda Lawrence, 14th Congressional District, who represents Detroit, uh, also said uh, an undercount of poor and minority groups exacerbates inequality. She went on to add that when more affluent communities are accurately counted, quote, then there's resentment in the poor community that, quote, why are they getting more money to uh, repair their roads when ours, when ours are the ones in horrible condition? Why are they getting more senior and HUD programming? That's why the census is so important. Representative Brenda Lawrence, representing the 14th Congressional District, said, quoted by the Washington Post. Now, the Congressional Black Caucus, of which Representative Brenda Lawrence is a leader, has formed a committee to look into preventing problems such as fight over the survey's end date was the subject of heated legal battles in October 2020 as the Trump administration pushed to end the count earlier than the Census Bureau had planned. Quote, we're going to have to legislate so that, so we're going to have to legislate so that cannot be an option to stop the count early, Representative Brenda Lawrence went on to say. Now, although congressional apportionment cannot be adjusted to compensate for an undercount, although congressional apportionment cannot be adjusted to compensate for an undercount, and it would be hard to change redistricting after the fact, it might be possible to revise the way funds are allocated. Lawmakers could adjust formulas to take into account disparities that come to light when the numbers are released, said Terry Ann Lowenthal, a former staff director of the House Census Oversight Subcommittee and a consultant on census issues. She said, quote, Congress hasn't really considered that in the past, but should, but, but should it? Maybe. Congress hasn't really considered that in the past, but should it? Maybe. So what this is saying is now apportionment deals with the process of determining how many seats in the House of Representatives each city state has. And that's based upon population. It's based upon the population count 
That's the result of the census taken every 10 years. Although congressional apportionment cannot be adjusted to compensate an undercount, and it would be hard to change redistricting after the fact, it might be possible to revise the way the funds are allocated. So what it's saying is, is that once they redraw district lines, that's pretty much a wrap. Once they redraw district lines, and then you have, because they redraw district lines and you have elections because the, the, the redrawing of the district lines that are taking place in many states now, that's going to impact what happens in the 2022 midterm elections. That's going to impact who is running against who in 2022 midterm elections. We're coming up on the break. When we come back from the break, we're going to go to this story from Texas that deals with Representative Al Green, not love and happiness, Al Green. Okay. Not <laughs> Representative Al Green and Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, both of the Congressional Black Caucus. And uh, and if you remember, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, she's she's the woman who sponsored H.R. 40, the bill to form a commission to study reparations and make a recommendation for reparations. That's Sheila Jackson Lee. She's also the woman who sponsored the bill to make Juneteenth a national holiday. OK, well, Republicans are in control of the state legislature in Texas. And based upon the uh, uh, based upon the census and, and based upon census results, they're redrawing the district lines. Okay, Texas reps Sheila Jackson Lee and uh, Al Green could face off due to Republican gerrymandering because Republicans are redrawing these district lines to put to to collapse their district into one and cause them to compete against each other to knock one out in the 2022 uh, midterm elections. Okay, this is the result of the census. And we saw the impact that redrawing the district lines took place in 1957 in Alabama, which led to the US Supreme Court case of Gomillion versus Lightfoot, which we'll talk about on the other side of the break. You listen to the African History Network show right here on 19 a.m. The Superstation of Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Farmington Hills, Detroit, 910 a.m. Superstation, a division of Adele Media. I'm Dr. Michael M. Hotel. In the African History Network show, we deal with current events of history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. And the laws and policies that put us in this predicament is going to be laws and policies that take us out. So you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts. You can control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do what teach what it doesn't know. We have it on a 910 AM Superstation. The views and opinions expressed on any program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 910 AM Superstation or Adele Media. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, the future radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Sunday, October 17th, 2021. And we are live calling numbers 313-778-7600-313. 778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. 313-778-7600. Uh, we'll go to the phone lines in a uh, few minutes here. So uh, we're going to pick up where we were 
um, right before the break, we were talking about how the 2020 census could have undercounted up to 2 million African-Americans. Uh, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. We have six days a week. This helps us keep doing the research and stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, et cetera. All right, so we po- we'll post the information here. And then um, 910 AM Superstation WFDF has one of the greatest deals in the history of radio. It's the Godfather's Advertising Package. Uh, 910 AM Superstation has the, has the Godfather's Advertising Package. You get 200 spots for $500 with a must air within 30 day policy. 200 spots for $500 with a must air within 30 day policy. That is only $2.50 per spot. And they will even produce the spots for free. That's right for free. Okay. Now, when I say that's right for free, okay, it, it, I sound like JJ Walker. It reminds me of J, Jimmy JJ Walker doing the Medicare commercials. Okay. <laughs> he has two of them now. <laughs> I, Every time the commercial comes on, I'll watch it. Okay. Well, I'm not supposed to talk about that right now. Talk, talking about this for 910. Okay. That's right for free. Call Renisha Williams now at 313-434-8291. Call Renisha Williams right now at 313-434-8291. Okay. And tell him Michael M. Hotel uh, told you to call. Or I guess you could say J.J. Walker told you, Jimmy J.J. Walker told you to call something, what have you. But <laughs> tell you you heard about it here on the African History Network show. All right. So like about a month ago, if you haven't seen the commercials for like for Medicare, uh, for, 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 for Medicare benefits, they had J.J. from Good Times, Jimmy J.J. Walker doing these commercials. All right. Now, when 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 Joe, Joe Namath does the same commercials. But I never really paid attention to it till I saw JJ. I said, wait a second. <laughs> he, you know, and he says, it's dynamite, right? <laughs> so every time the commercial comes on, I pay attention to it. All right. <laughs> you know, when, when Joe Namath, I see Joe Namath do the same commercial, it goes in one ear out the other. I don't pay any attention to it. But it's like, wait a second. <laughs> That's JJ. So I post it on Facebook. I may put it on, on my Twitter page. I posted on Facebook. I said, is Boom Boom Belinda going to get any of JJ's Medicare benefits? You know, that's what I want to know. Okay, which which one of JJ's girlfriends are going to get some of the Medicare benefits? Is it going to be Samantha the Human Panther? Is it going to be Boom Boom Belinda? You know, which one? Is it going to be the one that worked for the, who was the, who was the daughter of his boss at the advertising agency? Who, which one of JJ's foxes is going to get some of his Medicare benefits? All right, that's like that's like the question everybody wants to know. Okay, so <laughs> all right. Um so right before the break, we were talking about uh the preliminary census results, preliminary census results, and I was relating the undercount of possibly two million African Americans to also what's going on in Texas as well, okay. And in Texas, Texas represented Sheila Jackson Lee and Al Green, both African-Americans, both members of the Congressional Black Caucus, could face off due to Republican gerrymandering. Uh, now, this is a good article that April Ryan wrote for thegrio.com. Sources tell the Grio that longtime Texas members of Congress, Jackson Lee and uh, 
Sheila Jackson, uh, Sheila Jackson Lee and Representative Al Green plan to fight the potential move in court, plan to fight the potential move in court. Republican gerrymandering in Texas could result in a situation where long to rep Sheila Jackson Lee and Al Green are forced into it was called a double bunk, a double bunk election during the next congressional term. This round of redrawing efforts that are this this round of redrawing efforts that are expected, quote, will severely impact the Houston, Texas area, end quote, the Grio has learned from a high ranking source uh, on Capitol Hill. All right. Now, uh, it's not uncommon for state legislatures to make two uh, black federal elected officials face off in an election against one another. Now, we remember here in Detroit after I think it was after the 2000 election result. I think it was after 2000. Uh, maybe that's after 2010. Well, I think it's after 2000. Remember that the city of Detroit lost a congressional district um, because the count because we lost population count in the city of Detroit. So we lost a congressional district. It, the, the, it, based upon the census, the census is extremely important. U.S. Congresswoman Alma Adams of North Carolina told the Grio that she has been the double bunking. She has seen the double bunking of congressional seats before. One incident, Representative uh, Alma Adams cites, is from 2011 and 2012 when the redrawing of districts in North Carolina cut a lot of black women lawmakers in the same way redistricting is shaping up in Texas. In addition to violating voting rights, the Texas Republican legislature is accused of, quote, drawing the maps on racial lines, end quote, drawing the maps on racial lines, which is the same thing that happened in 1957 with the Alabama state legislature which led to the 1960 U.S. Supreme Court case of Gomillion versus Lightfoot to challenge the uh, redrawing of the district lines that Alabama was doing when it came to Tuskegee, Alabama, and trying to lock out most of the African-American voters in Tuskegee, Alabama. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Let's, talk, let's go to line one. We have Marathon. Marathon, welcome to the African History Network show. Tell us where you're calling from. Thanks for holding. How you doing? How you doing? To answer your first question, boom, boom, gonna get it. Boom, boom, Belinda. Okay. All right. What's your, what's your second question? What's your what's your second yeah, comment? But I'm gonna be serious. I'm gonna be serious now. <laughs> I want to know when inmates come out of prison, are they able to vote? Depends upon the state. It depends upon it depends upon the laws in the state. Okay. And uh, different different states have a different process. Mm -hmm for uh, uh, ex-offenders to go through to get their voting rights back. So it, dep it depends upon, in some of the states, like, like in recent- like Michigan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in Michigan, they can get it, if I remember correctly, in Michigan, they can get it back. It's a process they have to go through. Some states, um, it's, it's, it's easier and faster than others. In Florida, it, Florida used to be one of the few states where you lost your voting rights for life. But it's changed in Florida because of wow. activism of Desmond Mead and others who put it on, who got it on the statewide ballot 
and uh, voters in Florida voted on it. And over is basically like more than 60 percent of the voters voted to return voting rights to ex-offenders. Then the state legislature came back and changed the policy and then said that you have to pay all your mm -hmm. fines and things like this. So that's that's still being challenged in court. OK, but mm -hmm. in Florida, Florida was one of the states, uh, one of the few states where you lost your voting rights for life. Wow. Yep. Oh, All right. Thank you. Okay. Keep keep listening. All right. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's go to Dave. Line two. Dave, welcome to the African History Network show. Tell us where you're calling from, Dave. Thanks for holding. Yeah, good to talk to you, Mike. Uh, checking you out on uh, rolling the other day. You were handling your business. Oh, thanks. And uh, you do a good job every week, man. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Um. Yeah, I was calling about. Um, if, if if we don't get the George Floyd Act or the Voting Rights Act, the John Lewis Act, what should be our response? And in, in, uh, how should we approach? Uh, what should we do to like the carrot and stick methods? What should be our stick? Uh, obviously, our votes are carrot. What should be our stick in terms of responding to not getting the Voting Rights or the Police Reform Act? Okay. Well, two things. So, 2022 midterm elections or crucial elections. I encourage people to go to congress.gov, okay. congress.gov. That's where you go right. to look at the bills, read the bills, see what's in the bills, but more importantly, see how members of the House of Representatives and US Senate vote on the bills. Okay, you can only vote when it comes to when it comes to members of Congress, you can only vote for your member of the House of Representatives and your member of the US Senate. So me living in Michigan, no, no, I'm coming to day, 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 day. Slow down, day, day. Can you hear me? Day, can you hear me? I'm coming to that. Number one, number two, you're not the only one listening. I'm explaining this to people. You, you're not the only one watching the show. So me in Michigan, okay, I can't. Me in Michigan, I can't vote somebody out of office that lives in West Virginia or Arizona. I can only vote for the people in Michigan. So I'm looking at how is my member of the House of Representatives and how my member of the U.S. Senate is voting on bills that I care for. If we look at that, you mentioned the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. That bill passed the House of Representatives March 3rd. That, that, that bill passed the House of Representatives March 3rd, 2021, by a vote of 220 to 212. No Republicans voted for the bill. All the Republicans in the House of Representatives voted against the bill. Okay? So... When what 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 every what it comes down to is everybody. What we do is you vote to keep people in office that keep voting for bills that you advocate for. You vote people out of office, regardless of political party. You vote people out of office that vote against bills that you advocate for, and you have to vote more people into office who have who hold your same values or similar values and will vote for bills that you support. Okay, I have problems with uh, Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema, but I don't live in West Virginia or Arizona. So why would I get? I'm not saying you're saying do this. Why would I let people in Michigan that represent Detroit and Michigan? Why would I? Why would I let them get voted out of office and they actually vote for bills that I support? So what we have to understand is because a lot of people talk about. 
Chris and Cinnamon Joe Manchin, but only a few people live in West Virginia and in Arizona. Now you can contribute to campaigns uh, for people who are running against them, or you contribute to campaigns like if it's somebody you want to get out of office, say in Kentucky. You can contribute. You can tr contribute to. You can contribute to campaigns across state lines. But when it comes to voting, if you're talking about the House of Representatives and Senate, you can only vote for people in your state. So we have to understand that, and also your district. So I can't vote for somebody in the district up north in Michigan. I can only vote for people who represent the district that I live in. Go ahead with your, uh, go ahead with your next question, and I gotta, I gotta move on. Okay, yeah. Uh, what do you think about a national boycott of Thanksgiving and Christmas this year as a response to not getting those acts through? A national boycott of Thanksgiving, a, a national boy, boycott of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yes. Uh, national boycott. I, well, I don't celebrate Thanksgiving. I mean, I don't. Uh, uh, I, you know, it, 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 to, 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 what about if we didn't do that this year? I mean, they cannot do that if they don't want to, but. Who is so? If you talk about a national boycott, a couple of things. One, we should be focusing on redirecting dollars to black-owned businesses as much as possible, even during Thanksgiving. Okay. We should be focusing on redirecting dollars to okay. black-owned businesses as much as possible. Two, your 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 boycott needs to be targeted. Your 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 boycott needs to be well organized and targeted, so that. It, it puts pressure on the entities that you want to put pressure on. Okay. Now, if, if, um, so, 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 so that's the, that's the other thing. It, ha it has to be focused. Now, if people, for instance, want to put economic pressure on corporations that help fund Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin, that'd be, that, that's, that, that's more targeted. To, to accomplish what it is you want to accomplish. You see, that's, that's more targeted. So you, 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 you have to, because, uh, because a lot of people talk about, well, we need to have boycotts for this boycotts for that, things like this. One, very few boycotts succeed. They have to be strategic and well-planned Two, what yeah, you, exactly, it, right now, it's supposed to be in the boycott of Lowe's, Lowe's, uh, right now it's supposed to be in the boycott of Lowe's, but nobody knows about it. Who 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 launched the boy? I've heard of different boycotts, and I've heard of some coming out of Atlanta. Who launched the boycott against Lowe's? Uh, yeah, I think it was out of Atlanta, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, see, some some of the boycotts out of Atlanta, even though I've said that eventually it may have to get to that point, a lot of them were premature and not well planned. And there's a process that you go through when there's a there's a process that you go through when you have boycotts. First, you the, the, first you have to try to negotiate with the entity that you want to boycott against. There's, there's, there's like a, there's a process that you go through before the, the economic withdrawal, the economic boycott is the last step. You try to resolve it before it gets to that step. Okay. And then whenever you have an economic boycott okay. and you tell people don't support one business. You have to provide other businesses for them to support as an alternative so they can get their goods and services, their needs met as well. Ideally, you want that business to be 
either African-American owned or if it's not African-American owned, owned by a business that also supports your issues, also supports you properly on the matter that you're boycotting against. So a lot of people talk about boycotts and right. it, it, as, as a reaction, but it have never, they've never studied the, the anatomy of an economic boycott, economic withdrawal strategies. That's why this stuff has to be well-planned. Okay, I see your point. Yeah, okay. All right. And, 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 and one thing people should really do, man, one, one thing people should really do is study the 1981, I think it was 1981, 1981 economic boycott the Reverend Jesse Jackson, the Operation Push led against Coca-Cola because that one was successful. And they got tangible yeah. results from yeah. that one. OK, so so to go, go, go study, yeah, go study that one. That. And, and that one was uh, and, and see, that one was targeted towards Coca-Cola because of a grievance because of their hiring practices. It wasn't it wasn't a situation where we just I don't know, see. It wasn't. See, when you say boycott Christmas, that's something wide. That's it. See, people. OK, they, I, I know you. I know you understand. I know you get my point. You understand that people have to go research this stuff before they just run out and start talking about we're going to boycott this, boycott that. Okay, Dave, thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. Keep listening. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I want to go to this clip here. This is from, we're going to go to clip, uh, I think this is clip two, um, Jalen. This is from Roland Martin Unfiltered. Um, oh, this is, okay, we're coming up on the break. We'll continue this. On the other side of the break, I'll let you hear Representative Al Green. Um, we talked to him on Friday on Roland Martin Unfiltered, and he's talking about what's taking place in Texas and the fact that uh, he and Representative Sheila Jackson Lee may have to face off against each other. He said he's not going to run against her, and he's looking at suing also. Uh, you listen to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stand by. Also, just so people understand, Joe, Senator Joe Manchin, Senator Kristen Sinema are not up for re-election in the 2022 midterm elections either. So at the end of the day, you can only vote for the, the people who whose congressional district you live in and whose state you live in. Stand by. It's education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. It was laws and policies All that right. put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take us out. So you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts. You control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do what people really doesn't know. We have it on a 910 AM Superstation. 910, the Superstation, the oldest radio station in town since 1922. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 on the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Sunday, October 17th, 2021, and we are live. Calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. Uh, we'll go back to the phone lines in a few minutes. Uh, also, um, in going back to uh, caller Dave uh, in the conversation right before the break. Also, when we look at the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, the only people basically voted for the John Lewis Voting Rights Act in the House of Representatives were Democrats. 
basically all the Republicans, I think that vote was 219 to 211. You can go to congress.gov, it's there also. P people don't understand. Go to congress.gov, look and see how your member of the House of Representatives and U.S. Senate voted on these bills. You can go read the bill at congress.gov. You can read what's in the bill, okay? And then also at whitehouse.gov, they have a lot of fact sheets that show you what's in the bill as well. Okay, so we have to use these tools. Um, you can register for the 10 week online course that I teach on Sundays. We had a great class today, end up doing uh, two and a half hours. I got some energy from somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think I was gonna last that long. We it's normally supposed to be two hours. I, I kept going. Um, we deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic state slave trade taking place. We deal with ancient Egypt, ancient Kemet, Nile Valley, Nile Valley region of Africa. Um, the 800 year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors. Uh, we deal with, uh, Christopher Columbus, you know, October 12th, uh, was the anniversary of Columbus, uh, landing in the Bahamas. And, you know, on Monday, October 11th, uh, we talked about that indigenous people's day. And then Tuesday, October 12th, you know, we had Dr. David M. Hotep here on this show, um, who is the author of the book, the first Americans were Africans documented evidence. He was my guest on uh, Tuesday. So we had a good show. We were even went into overtime. So you can watch that on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, and on our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. The interview I did with um, Dr. David M. Hotep, his new book is out, The First Americans Were Africans um, Expanded and Revised. The First Americans Were Africans Expanded and Revised. Uh, the book is out. It's available on Amazon. It's uh, between uh, 45 and $60. Okay. They have one book where the pictures are in black and white, which is cheaper, and one book where the pictures are in color. But um, here's his uh, cover of his new book, The First Americans Were Africans Expanded and Revised. Okay. All right. So um, we had a great class. Uh, today so you can register for the classes uh on sale eighty dollars regularly 130 dollars and then we have a course bundle where you can get um understand the transatlantic slave trade and the uh from the civil war to the civil rights movement and black power you can get both for a very very limited time only for only a hundred dollars you can register them both for a hundred dollars i um offered that to my class at Hartford Memorial Baptist Church. So I'm extending the offer to you all for a limited time only also for a couple of days. All right. So uh, you can register for that at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com and also email me at AHNShow at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. If uh, you want to take advantage of that, email me at AHNShow at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And if you want to pay for it through Cash App instead of PayPal, email me as well. Okay. So right before the break, we were talking about uh, this crazy story out of Texas. I have another crazy story out of Texas to tell you about after this one. And this deals with the results of the census once again and how and how Republicans who control the state legislature in Texas. Have redrawn district lines to uh, force Representative Sheila Jackson Lee and Representative Al Green to face off against each other trying to eliminate one of them uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives, okay? So we talked about this on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday, October 15th. I want to go to this clip here. Let's go to this clip, Jalen. 
right. The proposed new maps in Texas may pit two black lawmakers against each other if the maps get approved. Members of Congress, Al Green, Sheila Jackson Lee, are both from Houston. They may face off in the next congressional election if the plan that the GOP is putting forth becomes law. Both members of Congress plan to go to court to fight this move if it is passed. Joining me now is Congressman Al Green uh, out of Houston, Texas. Uh, Frat, glad to have you back on the show. Um, what the Republicans are trying to do is uh, they want to uh, consolidate uh, two so-called black districts, shifting voters elsewhere. Just your assessment of what they're, what they're trying to get away with in our home state. Well, if they can get away with it, what they would do is um, eliminate a person from Congress by gerrymandering the person who's been elected out of Congress. As you know, the House is very close, just a handful of votes separating the two parties. They pick up two additional seats here in Texas, gerrymander one person out. That's three seats in Texas alone. So we have good reason all over this country to be concerned about this type of activity, because if it succeeds here, it won't end here. And uh, what we're seeing, what we're seeing, not only this, uh, so this is a headline uh, in the Texas Tribune. Folks, go to my iPad. With surgical precision, Republicans draw two congressional districts that dilute power of Hispanic and Asian voters because what they're, what they've been getting a butt kick in the Texas suburbs in Houston and Dallas. And so they are trying to maintain white power by screwing over minority voters in Texas. Absolutely. The 38th uh, district that was drawn just outside of Houston is going to elect an Anglo, a Republican, it's designed to do such. Uh, you couple that with what's happening with the 18th and the 9th, and then you couple that with the fact that the growth in Texas, 95% of it, was among minority persons. Uh, so the people who bring the seats to Texas will not benefit from the seat, and they get closer to the 218 in the House. It's, a, it's, it's more than politics, however, because the only two people in the state pitted against each other from the same party happen to be African-Americans. I think it's a little bit more than politics when you see this kind of thing happen. Well, uh, here's the subhead of this uh, Texas Tribune article. The GOP is losing its hold on suburbs of Dallas and Fort Worth as they grow more diverse. Two proposed districts show how far the party is reaching to entrench rural white electoral power. Uh, again, by screwing over black voters in Houston, uh, same thing. This is about uh, white power. This is what the whole deal is. 95% of all of the population growth in Texas in the last 10 years has been from non-white voters. The Republican Party is trying to reward whiteness. Well, the Republican Party has tried not only this as a means of holding on to power, uh, they're challenging elections. As you know, the president at that time, Trump, he carried Texas. Yet there's a desire to recount ballots in Texas. Uh, they're setting up this scheme such that even when they lose, they can claim they won. And if they have people in proper places, they can challenge elections. Uh, what happened at the Capitol was no accident. Those people were there to challenge the election. They were there to subvert the election. And if they had gotten away with it, only God knows what this country would be like today. I believe that there is this sincere effort on their part 
while I don't think it's a good thing, to bring Trump back to office. And if they can bring him back and they can do it with impunity, then they will have the opportunity to run this country with probably little oversight because we know now that the only thing you can do when a president is uh, engaged in transgression is impeach him, literally. That's what you have to do. And if they have the Senate or the House, they won't be impeached. And what we're also seeing here is, is very simple. We're seeing the impact of voting. We're seeing what happens, one, we're seeing what happens when folks don't vote, and therefore Republicans are in control of the Texas legislature. We're also seeing what happens, frankly, when people don't fill out their census. Uh, because we, we reported yesterday about the undercount of black voters. Uh, when Texas chose not to even spend money on the census, then when they realized late in the game, oh my goodness, we could potentially uh, lose out. They tried to, tried to hurry up uh, and ramp up because they did not want to count black and Latino voters. Here's a, here's a, here's a graphic here that shows who's going to be losing. Uh, seven states will lose House seats, California, Illinois, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Uh, if you look at those states, California's blue, Illinois is blue, Michigan, even though Biden won, is red. New York is blue, Ohio is red, Pennsylvania is red, West Virginia is red. They're going to be, they, they're going to try to uh, knock, knock Democrats out. Now, in Illinois, uh, you have Republican Adam Kinzinger who is complaining that Democrats have redrawn his district, but you have Republicans in Florida who want to redraw the district. They want to take over the House literally by just redrawing districts in Texas and Florida. Gerrymandering puts people out of office, literally. Uh, I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. Jackson Lee and I were duly elected. We were elected from districts that were approved by the courts because last time we had to file lawsuits. And now there's an effort to gerrymander out of office people who were duly elected by the people in Texas. But Texas has proven to be the proving ground, if you will. This is where trial balloons are floating. And if they can succeed in Texas, they can succeed elsewhere. Remember, Texas was the state that had white primaries. And when the Supreme Court said, Texas, you can't have a white primary in 1944, Texas then went to white pre-primaries. This has been the state that has been before the courts since we've had that Voting Rights Act. Texas has always been in and out of court. We cannot allow them to succeed in Texas. So I'm asking persons to please understand what's at stake and govern yourselves accordingly. Uh, and obviously, um, you and Congresswoman Jackson Lee uh, are prepared to go to court uh, if necessary. Uh, are you going to make the argument that this effort here dilutes uh, the voting power uh, of black uh, voters? We'll make that argument coupled with the fact that it separates communities of interest, coupled with the fact that the persons who happen to be holding office are persons of African ancestry, and quite frankly, there can be some invidious discrimination involved in this. We have to take all of these arguments. I don't think we leave anything on the table, and I think we take it all the way to the Supreme Court if we have to. But the important thing to remember is what you said earlier. We must vote. We must vote. When we fail to vote and we lose the presidency and we see judges appointed to the Supreme Court using 51 votes, not going to culture to get this done, then we understand how important this vote is. That Supreme Court is a, 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 an entity that can make a difference in the lives of people. 
435 members of Congress and 100 senators can vote to make something a law, and the Supreme Court, with nine members, five of them voting for something, can change it. Five people on the Supreme Court can undo what 535 members of the House and Senate have done. Okay. So that was from Friday, October 15th. Roland Martin Unfiltered. You can watch uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, the shows are archived there. Roland rebroadcast the shows. Watch them on Facebook, Roland Martin on Facebook, uh, Roland Martin on YouTube. And then you can also download uh, the Black Star Media app, Roland's new app. Download the Black Star Media app to your Android device, to your iPhone. It's also on Roku devices. I think Amazon Prime It's a bunch of different places. The Black Star Media app. You can watch the show live there. You can watch me when I'm on on the show on Fridays and the shows are archived there as well. So that was Representative Al Green of Texas who represents Houston. Now, we're going to go to clip three, uh, Jalen. Uh, Roland goes to his panel and he comes to me. So let's go to uh, clip number three. Vote a certain way. We have to bring in new voters. And in Texas, we've got plenty of new people coming into uh, their own, and we have to bring them into the process. There are young people who are organizing currently to do just this. And then we mobilize them, and we get them to the polls. So we have to expand our base. The potential is there for us to expand our base. We simply have to work it. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be something that can happen overnight, but it can happen by the next election. We can bring enough people into the process to offset those who refuse to do anything other than uh, seek power for power's sake as opposed to, to doing the things that can be a benefit to the constituents we serve. Michael. Representative Val Green, thanks for uh, coming on today and sharing this information with us. Uh, I'm glad you talked about um, a lawsuit and taking this to court. And um, I wanted to relate this to what happened in 1957 in Alabama, where the state legislature tried to redraw the district lines in Tuskegee, Alabama, to lock out almost all of the 400 African-American registered voters, leave in about 1,300 white voters. And this went to the U.S. Supreme Court, the case of Gomillion versus Lightfoot, 1960 U.S. Supreme Court case. And the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the African-Americans. Uh, and they said it was unconstitutional uh, to redraw the district lines, and they said it was based upon race. One of the other things that African-Americans did to fight back is they, they launched economic boycott into Tuskegee against white businesses and shut down about 100 businesses. The boycotts went on for four years. So uh, have you studied that case of Gomillion versus Lightfoot, 1960, number one? Number two, is there any talk about economic boycotts against corporations to help finance these Republicans that, re, that redrew these district lines? Well, I went to Tuskegee Institute of Technology. Um, mm -hmm. I engineering there. Uh, I was a part of the protest there uh, on the campus. Uh, I was there when we when we decided that we were no longer going to be, uh, divide the leadership. Uh, at one time, there was a, a pattern of African-Americans could only have certain positions, couldn't become mayor, uh, could hold some other lower position. Well, uh, the young people on the campus at Tuskegee got engaged in that process and change came about. So I'm familiar with Tuskegee, but I'm also very much familiar with the fact that you can engage in selective bargaining. 
collective bargaining. I was the president of the Houston branch of the NAACP for about a decade. Uh, one of the things that we learned early on that you have to be very careful with your language. Uh, people can choose to buy from whomever they want, but you have to be careful how to style that buying. I think the NAACP in Houston is very much active and is looking into means by which we can marshal our forces, make sure we get people registered to vote, and make sure we get them to the polls on election day. All right. Okay, pause Dr. right Sarah there. Green, uh, we pause will right be there. watching this story. Uh... Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. So that was uh, Congressman Al Green of Houston, and he didn't directly answer my question about economic boycotts, but I understand because he wouldn't be the one calling for economic boycotts. Uh, I understand why. Now, uh, there may be some that other people call for, but he would not be the one calling for it. I, I, I wasn't implying that he called for one. I was just asking if people were talking about having economic boycotts. But very quickly here, the U.S. Supreme Court case of Gomillion versus Lightfoot, 1960, it emanated from the what, what the Alabama state legislature tried to do in 1957. If we look at this here from NV database, um, the Global Nonviolent Action Database, uh, black citizens boycott white merchants for U.S. voting rights, Tuskegee, Alabama, 1957. Now, this is something that I teach about in my 10 week online course from the civil war to the civil rights movement of black power, 1865 to 1968. But very quickly, uh, the plaintiff's name was um, Charles Gomillion, who was a Dean at Tuskegee Institute. Okay. there in Alabama. Um, the Alabama state legislature in, in 1957, in an effort to frustrate increasing black voter registration and the threat of losing white voter majority, a white voter majority at the threat of uh, the threat of losing a white voter majority, Alabama state Senator Sam Englehart sponsored act 140, which proposed to transform the Tuskegee city boundaries from a square to the, that's the way the boundaries were drawn. The, 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 the Tuskegee city boundaries, they wanted to redraw those from a square into a 20, eight-sided shape resembling a seahorse. The white-dominated, the white supremacists in the state legislature in Alabama, and Alabama rewrote their, 19, rewrote their Alabama state constitution in 1901 to encode white supremacy. That's not me saying that. That's what, uh, that's what the Encyclopedia of Alabama tells you about what happened in 1901 with the Alabama, um, uh, state, uh, 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 Alabama state constitution. But these white supremacists in 1957, they wanted to redraw the district lines of the city of Alabama from a square into a 28-sided shape resembling a seahorse. That in, in, in when they, by redrawing the district lines the way they wanted to draw it, it would include every single one of the 600 white voters and exclude all except five of the 400 African-American voters. They wanted to redraw district lines based upon race 
to include all of the 600 white voters and exclude all except five of the 400 African-American voters. Now, Sam Englehart was a plantation owner and executive secretary of the Alabama Association of the White Citizens Council. Surprise, surprise, surprise. He explained, quote, the folks up there feel like I do. Civil rights legislation is going to pass the United States Senate either this year or next, and we're going to be prepared for it. We couldn't stand seeing a Negro in the Alabama state legislature. We couldn't stand seeing a Negro in the Alabama state legislature. So what we're going to do is we're going to redraw district lines to lock African-Americans out of this district in Castillo. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to gerrymander the district to make it harder for them to have an impact on voting results and harder for them to get who they want elected, et cetera. So for years, Alabama had quite successfully discouraged and thwarted African-American voter registration, but with new civil rights legislation, uh, but with new civil rights legislation threatening to make disenfranchisement more difficult, the Alabama state legislature decided to deliver a preemptory assault on black self-determination, just like these Republicans in state legislatures across the country are doing as a result of the 2020 presidential election results because it didn't go the way they wanted. They're operating based upon the big lie. African-Americans, Latinos, Asian-Americans came out and voted. So now they're gonna strike back in the state legislatures, just like they struck back in court in 2013, US Supreme Court case of Shelby County versus Holder, which is a backlash of the 2012 presidential election results and African-Americans coming out once again and, and others coming out and reelecting President Barack Obama. Well. Republicans struck back in the courts and Shelby County versus Holder. Shelby County is in where, what state is it in? It's in Alabama. Alabama was ground zero for the Voting Rights Act of 1965 and Alabama's where Bloody Sunday was March 7th, 1965. Alabama is striking back, taking a preemptory strike here in 1957. This is before Bloody Sunday. This is a bloodbath in the state legislature. This is 1957, okay? So, so African-Americans are gonna sue. Uh, the plaintiff is uh, uh, Charles Gomillion, a dean at the Tuskegee Institute and president of the Tuskegee Civic uh, Association. He's the plaintiff in Gomillion versus Lightfoot. Uh, also, he called, also there were economic boycotts, okay? Already frustrated by making county border registrars failure to register African-American voters, Charles Gomillion and several other African-American leaders decided to initiate a merchant boycott, decided to initiate a merchant boycott just four days after the House uh, vote, 3,000 African-Americans gathered at Butler Chapel AME Zion Church to join the crusade for citizenship, to join the crusade for citizenship and listen to Charles Gomillion urge a trade with friends boycott of local white merchants. Urge a trade with friends boycott of local white merchants. Okay. Uh, let me see here. I lost my space. Go back down. I'm increasing the size of it because it's printed small so people can see on Facebook and YouTube. He vowed, quote, we are going to buy goods and services 
from those who help us. We are going to buy goods and services from those who help us, from those who make no effort to hinder us, from those who recognize us as first class citizens, end quote, and not and not with those who would seek to devour us. OK, so he didn't tell them. So he so he gets sued for initiating a boycott. OK, he gets sued for initiating boycott, but the case is thrown out because he didn't tell them don't buy from white people. What he said was it, it's called it, it was called a trade with friends boycott. He said buy from people who help us. OK, he didn't say don't buy from white people. It just so happened to boycott shut down 100 white businesses. Well, that's because you're on the wrong side of history. But he didn't tell them don't from white people. OK. He said, don't buy from those who would seek to devour us. The next Martin Luther King Jr. came to show his support for the boycott by speaking to 2000 African-Americans at Washington Chapel AME Zion Church, stating, quote, you are not seeking to put the stores out of business, but to put justice into business. This is what Dr. King told him. He said, you are not seeking to put the stores out of business, but to put justice into business. Quote, if white citizens here feel Negroes shouldn't vote, then Negro citizens feel their money should not be spent with these folks. We prefer to spend our money with people who might help us or who are in a poor position to hurt us directly. White people in Montgomery, for instance, Charles Gomillion asserted. Similarly, Dr. E.H. Foster, president of the Tuskegee Institute, judged, quote, now that they don't want us in in the city of Tuskegee, I have no reason to trade there. Now, what happened was they went to Montgomery, Alabama, drove about 80 miles round trip. They started going to Montgomery to buy to, to, to spend their money and start spending it at the at the white owned stores that were working in opposition to them. Like I said before, we have to stop financing our, whole, our own dehumanization. This is what they did. 1957. This boycott lasted four years. Within weeks, the boycott had plunged local sales by more than 75% and put the gerrymandering case in the national spotlight. Consequently, um, Alabama officials began an effort to suppress it. By the end of July, state attorney general and future governor John Patterson led multiple raids against uh, offices of the Tuskegee Civic Association in an effort to discourage the boycott. On July 29th, John Patterson warned blacks against violating Alabama's anti-boycott law. Okay, on July 29th, John Patterson warned African-Americans against violating Alabama's anti-boycott law. By August 16th, John Patterson succeeded in obtaining an injunction, injunction against Charles Gomillion and the TCA, Tuskegee Civic Association, after having secured an injunction banning the NAACP from operating in Alabama the previous year. Charles Gomillion appreciated the irony. He said, if we stay away from their churches, schools, and playgrounds, we are wise and understanding Negroes. But if we stay away from their stores, we are criminals. If we stay away, because segregation is still going on there in Alabama. In Alabama, in Tuskegee, segregation is still going on. He said, if we stay away from their churches, 
schools and playgrounds, we are wise and understanding Negroes. But if we stay away from their stores, we are criminals. If they did not want our vote, why should they have our money? So they end up winning this loss, this U.S. Supreme Court lawsuit in 1960, go million versus Lightfoot. Despite the injunction, the boycott continued. By the end of 1957, over 100 white businesses were forced to close their doors and many other businesses and dealerships were reporting drop-offs of 40, 50, or even 60% in sales. Okay, so, so research this, go million versus Lightfoot. Textbook case of organizing and, and combining economic withdrawal strategies with fighting against political oppression in your state legislature. Okay, textbook case of that. All right, now, uh, very quickly here, I want to go to, uh, we're going to go to the Bobby Seale clip. Um, Friday, October 15th, was the 55th anniversary of the founding of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. We talked about that here on this show. Even in the overtime, we talked about it. And uh, I wanna, we played a clip from um, Huey P. Newton, from 1988, the interview from Eyes on the Prize. And I want to play this clip here of uh, Bobby Seale from uh, 1988 as well. Let's go to this clip, Jalen. The Black Panther Party really spread from prior to the murder of Martin, the assassination of Brother Martin Luther King. We only had about 700 members in six or seven chapters and branches largely on the West Coast. Following the assassination of Martin Luther King, our organization grew from 700 to 5,000 members plus. And with the assassination of Robert Kennedy later that year, the young white radicals readily coalesced with us at our direction. They couldn't direct us, they coalesced with us. So it was whoever in the power structure who murdered Martin Luther King caused a lot of people who sided with Martin Luther King to say the heck with it, let's join the Panthers. And they in effect tagged us as the vanguard of the revolution. Huey was able to take the Panther Party and take the very concept of civil disobedience and put it on the cutting edge while at the same time of holding a legal posture. In other words, you distinguish civil disobedience from criminality. Well, the power is going to say you're all criminals. But we know that a civil disobedience stands out loud on the corner and states what he or she is opposed to. Was well, a criminal is covert. So he would put it on the cutting edge without becoming criminal. And put it on the cutting edge to make the issue sharp enough to make even the white races realize that they have to pay attention to what's going on here. That was hearing the decision. Q.P. Newton and I had received a pamphlet from the Lowndes County Freedom Organization from down south, and they had a logo of a picture of a charging black panther. I asked Huey, why would they have a charging black panther? Later, he came up with a point that if you push a panther into a corner, if it can't go left and it can't go right, it would tend to come out of that corner to wipe out its aggressor, whoever had pushed it into the corner. And the analogy was that's what black people have been pushed. Peaceful demonstrators exercise the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States, and then bull corners and races brutalizing them. They couldn't go left, 
couldn't go right with the petition we had for community police review boards. They ignored that, the city government. So in effect, we and I decided to name the Black Council Party the Black Council Party for self-defense. We later dropped the defense because we didn't want to be tagged as a paramilitary organization. Most people don't know that there were quite a few policemen here and there who understood what we were getting at when we talked about structural racism inside the police department. Most people don't know that when you and I, around the time we first started the Black Panther Party, well, a black policeman was a friend of ours who recruited with the police department. We didn't want to destroy the police department. What we wanted to do was run it. That's why I ran for mayor of Oakland in the first place. So we reordered and redirected, make sure it served the real basic desires and needs of the people. All right, so that is uh, Bobby Seal. That is from 1988. That is a segment from Eyes on the Prize, the second incarnation of Eyes on the Prize. The the, the, the second incarnation of Eyes on the Prize has Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seal in there, as well as Kwame Ture. The second Eyes on the Prize that deals with 1965 to 1985 is fantastic. Uh, they also show a clip of my man, Mukasa Daba, really, Willie Ricks, who I interviewed a few years ago, because Willie Ricks and Mukasa Daba, they were the ones who introduced the, the Black Power slogan uh, into the lexicon. And it was June uh, 1966 at the March Against Fear in Mississippi that uh, Stokely Carmichael Kwame Ture drops the Black Power slogan uh, on people. Uh, OK, so uh, be sure to register for the 10 uh, week online course that I teach on Sundays, Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. Uh, we'll talk about this some more on uh, Monday's show. The, the, the segment dealing with uh, the white teacher in Texas who called the students the N-word. We'll play that on Monday's show. We talked about that on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, if you'd like to stop your information, you support the African History Network. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App and then also through PayPal. PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show. Those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching. We'll be here for a few more minutes. Right now, it's correct your own behavior. It's not over till we win. We'll count it forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Stand by. Okay. Let me disconnect this call here. All right. Be here for a few more minutes. Uh, yeah, you can support us here. Uh, this is our official Cash App account, dollar sign, the AHN show, S H O W. When you go to it, it says Michael and shows my picture there. These other ones are fake African History Network Cash App accounts. Okay, now, um, and uh, we'll post a link here also. Um, the uh, we had. A session of uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. And we had a uh, fantastic class today. Um, let me see, what date is that? That's going to be the 24th. Okay. So just a quick recap of some of the things we covered today. We dealt with some more archaeological discoveries that are causing uh, scientists and paleontologists, everybody to rethink everything. All right. And I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have articles, book references, video clips, all of that. Sometimes guest speakers as well. Uh, so today we dealt with, uh, and let me pull this up here. Uh, 
one of the discoveries that we uh, recapped was the golden city uh, found in, uh, that was revealed in Egypt back in February of this year. And I think it was February. Um, and this is a city that dates back um, somewhere around 3,400 years ago, uh, the lost city of Egypt. Okay. So there were a lot of articles written about this, uh, the lost city of Egypt. And we also talked about um, the discovery in Morocco that dates back, that dates uh, Homo sapiens uh, back about 300,000 years ago. There was a, there was a archeological discovery out of Morocco um, in June of 2017. And they found remains of Homo sapiens that date back between 300,000 to 350,000 years ago. Okay, and what this is doing this is uh, a hundred years, a hundred thousand years before the earliest known Homo sapien uh, remains existed. The oldest ones were in uh, Ethiopia that date back uh, 130,000 years ago, they date back 195,000 years ago in Ethiopia. Okay. These are even older. There's an article from uh, the Washington Post that talks about this. Oldest Homo sapien, oldest Homo sapiens fossils discovered in Morocco. Bones found in the cave in Morocco add 100,000 years to the history of modern human fossils. These bones are from early anatomically modern humans our own species Homo sapiens with a mixture of modern and primitive traits, an international team of anthropologists, paleontologists, and evolutionary scientists report in a pair of papers published Wednesday in the journal Nature. And the journal Nature is one of the one of the journals where you're going to see a lot of these uh, archaeological discoveries and scientific discoveries. Okay, so when you research this, they say they're going to have to start looking for humans. Um evidence of humans in areas where they have had not thought to look before. And this discovery shows that Africans were migrating out of the Nile Valley region of Africa much earlier than the scientists originally thought because they find them in Morocco dating back 300,000 to 350,000 years ago. Okay. So we talked about that discovery. We, we talked about um, the mastodon skeletons, uh, found in California in uh, 2017, also that date back 130,000 years. And it's saying, this, the paleontologists are saying that those mastodon skeletons were, uh, the, the mastodon skeletons were smashed. The paleontologists are saying that they were uh, smashed uh, by humans, which puts then humans in California where the Mastodon skeletons were found, puts them in California 130,000 years ago. Well, this is something that people like Dr. David M. Hotep have been talking about. And uh, we talked about Dr. Albert Goodyear's research and how Dr. Albert Goodyear um, is, has been working to prove uh, the le legitimacy of his discovery in 2004 
in Allendale County, South Carolina, that puts uh, the Khoisan, that puts Homo sapiens in the territory we call South Carolina about 51,700 years ago. This is before Native Americans even come into existence. This is what Dr. David Imhotep talks about on page 14 of his first book, The First Americans Were Africans Documented Evidence, in the archaeological discovery that Dr. Albert Goodyear made in 2004. 13 different types of evidence documenting an African presence in South Carolina. Um, so we looked at a number of different archaeological discoveries. We looked at one in Florida that shows Homo sapiens um, uh, hunting uh, 14,500 years ago. Uh, we looked at the uh, ancient beer factory that was found in Egypt. And it was that discovery was released in February of 2021. And this ancient beer factory uh, dates back to uh, dates back about 5,000 years ago. Okay. It's the, uh, I think this is the oldest beer factory they found ancient beer factory unearthed by archeologists in Egypt. Uh, Egypt has announced dozens of ancient discoveries in the past couple of years in the hope of attracting more tourists. Okay. So we went through a number of archeological discoveries today that push timelines back that are causing scientists and paleontologists, anthropologists, archeologists to rethink everything. And, and, and when you look at these studies, they're saying that they have to, it's saying that this is going to rewrite history. It's pushing the, all these timelines back and it's showing that all this is much older than we were originally told. And it's showing that African people are older than we were originally told. And we were in, uh, the Americas also, but also on the Greek island of Crete, uh, the discovery from uh, 2010 that shows uh, on the Greek island of Crete stone tools that date back at least 130,000 years ago. And they're saying humans use these tools and they said that the Greek island of Crete has been an island for more than 5 million years, which means that humans had to have sailed there, which then puts uh, humans sailing a hundred, a hundred thousand years earlier than they thought they were sailing in the Mediterranean. And one of these, uh, in, in also in the discovery, uh, with the Mastodon skeletons, they're saying, okay, um, humans, uh, possibly could have sailed to California. Well, they were already selling, sailing to Greece and the more research, as I always say, the, 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 the more research they do, the older we get, the deeper they dig, the blacker the planet gets. Okay, so this is what these archaeological discoveries are showing. So we dealt with, we, we talked about a number of them today, and we dealt with, uh, we talked about Asar, Aset, and Heru, who the Greeks called Osiris, Isis, and Horus. We're going to talk more about them uh, in the next class. Asar. Asar, Aset, and Heru. We talked about the judgment scene uh, today as well. The judgment scene coming out of ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt. Uh, we dealt with uh, all of that. Asar, Aset, and Heru. And uh, Heru being born of a virgin birth on December 25th. 
uh, to the Virgin Mary, to, well, to the Virgin Osset, I should say, who's, uh, it, the story's retold in the story of uh, Mary and Jesus and um, um, uh, Dehuti. Um, uh, Dehuti is, del del delivers the Annunciation to the Virgin Osset, just as Gabrielle, the messenger angel, delivered the Annunciation to the Virgin Mary. It's a it's a it's a retelling of the same story. Um, okay, so we talked about this and okay, beer factory fourteen thousand. Uh, we talked about Maat as well, the personification of truth, justice, righteousness, righteousness, balance, harmony, order, and reciprocity. The seven the seven virtues of Maat. Um. So we did, uh, we talked about the, the Tekken as well, the obelisk, the symbol of resurrection. We're going to talk more about the mythology of Asar, Aset and Heru next class, uh, next Sunday. We'll get, we're going to get deeper into all this and the Netaru and the uh, at, attributes of the Netaru as well. But the Washington Monument is an ancient African symbol called a Tekken. All right. Uh, we know our brother uh, Tony Browder does a tour of Washington, D.C. called Egypt on the Potomac. That's one of the books we use in the class. Also, Egypt on the Potomac. You don't have to buy any of these books to follow along. Uh, I use them as reference. All right. But uh, there were about 1,200 Tekkenu all throughout ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt. Today, there are only about 12 or less than 12. So this is just a brief recap. Because we're out of time here. This is just a brief recap of what we covered today we did two and a half hours as soon as you register for the class you can watch today's full class uh we do the sessions live all the sessions are recorded you can go back and watch them over and over again okay uh so visit our website we'll post a link again here visit our website africanhistorynetwork.com scroll down the page uh you can register for ancient kemet the moors and the ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach you in school and also you can register for, for from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement of Black Power, 1865 to 1968. The second class basically picks up where the first class leaves off. Uh, and we do uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement, 12 noon on, on Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. OK, we'll post a link here. You can register for the classes. And if you want to register for both. We have a, a, a special discount for just a, a limited time only. I'm going to see how this works. We have a special discount where you get both classes for $100. It's really regular price would be $260 uh, for those two courses. And even after the class is over, if you can still watch the entire course also. Okay. All right. So we'll post this here and, um, you can email me at uh, ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com with any questions. You can email me at uh, ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com uh, with any questions as well. And here's the link for if you want to register for both classes uh, in a bundle uh, for $100. Here's the link for that also. All right, look, we have to get out of here. Remember at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right now it's correct wrong behavior. 
Uh, thanks to those that came to the Social Justice Conference at Hartford Memorial Baptist Church. Uh, I recorded the my I recorded my workshop. We'll probably play uh, an excerpt of that on Monday or Tuesday show. I, I haven't even had a chance to look at the video. I have to go back and look at it. Uh, but thanks for tuning in today. Right now, it's correct. Wrong behavior is not over till we win Wakanda forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.